You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Hope you're hungry for the Word of God this morning. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open there. Open to your Bibles, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We start reading in verse 1. The Lord is here, wants to minister to your heart. Imagine a young rabbi walking into your village in an era when rabbis would commonly call disciples to come and follow them. And the language would be, come and look at my yoke, the yoke of my teaching, take that upon yourself and follow me in my ways. Well, imagine in your day, a young rabbi came to your town and said, come to me, all you who are weary, come and find a rest for your soul. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon me, my, uh, take my yoke upon you, my light and easy yoke. Those are the words of Jesus. Speaking to our souls, the answer to our souls, being his way, being us following in his steps, following in the lifestyle of Jesus himself, taking on his life upon us. And so that becomes the, the lifelong answer for all the ails that you find, your, that you find yourself uh, navigating in your life. The answer becomes the same. It's faith in Jesus, following in his steps, following in his way. Every time, it's, that's the answer. In an age when all sorts of answers will try to prop themselves up as another potential path, Jesus is the answer. And we, we're going to look at that this morning. Jesus, once and for all, his sacrifice as effective. We're going to look at the effectiveness of Jesus as the answer for everything that we face, specifically our sin. Jesus alone is effective. You can think of it this way this morning Jesus as the cure. And think of yourself being diagnosed with some disease, with some sickness. Now, if a doctor were to give you some medicine that would help you just kind of limp along, it dealt with the symptoms, but it didn't cure you, that's different than if the doctor said, here is an answer for your sickness and it's going to cure you. Completely different things. If you're taking the, the former idea, you're taking that medicine and every day you take that medicine as a reminder that you're sick. Every day. You can think of blood pressure medicine. You take it. You know, you take it every day, and every day you know it's just helping you navigate this ailment that you're facing. So in one sense, it's effective in dealing with symptoms, but it really is just reminding you that you're sick. Whereas this, this latter idea is, is Jesus himself. He comes, he gives you the cure. He brings to you the cure for your soul. And it truly is a cure. He sets you free. He is the effective cure once and for all, and we're gonna look at that this morning. This week I, I heard a, an old recording of a testimony um, from the, it was probably the 70s, because yeah, he passed away in 1983. This is a testimony of Keith Green. Keith Green was a, a Christian musician and Christian artist uh, during the Jesus People movement who encountered the Lord, but he was sharing his testimony of how he encountered the Lord, and it was very, is really rather intellectual in terms of how he, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was the way. He grew up in a you know, household that was more like uh, new age metaphysics, and they were pretty open to a lot of potential paths that would all lead to truth. And he began to, to study out all these potential paths, and throughout these paths, Buddhism and Hinduism and even Islam and Christianity and other new age 
mystical ideas. He continued to, to come across this common denominator, and it was the person of Jesus. Some would regard him as teacher, as prophet, but he was really intrigued by the fact that throughout these teachings, they would all regard him as, as one of the potential ways. So he set himself on this journey of discovering Jesus, of saying, I want to know who this guy is. And, and he comes to the words of Jesus himself. Jesus, Jesus said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Those are the words of Jesus. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. You know, look, look around and you know, pick me if you want, but I'm one of the ways. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, and it struck Keith in the heart. It struck him, it brought him finally to the end of himself, end of, the, end of his journey, really, to that crossroads. He realized that Jesus really did set himself apart, and it was finally him believing on Jesus, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he said he is that everything changed for him and his, the trajectory of his life changed forever and the Lord used him in radical ways until he tragically died at the age of 28 in a, in a plane crash. But even in those short years of his, of his life and his ministry, the Lord used him in a beautiful way. But Jesus truly is the only way, the only effective cure. So let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse one. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, remember that's the language that he had been using back in uh, Hebrews chapter seven and chapter eight, was these matters of the law, like matters of the Old Testament before Jesus came were like shadows, they were like copies. Moses saw the heavenlies and, and the Lord told him, go and build a, a copy of that, of what you see in the heavenly. So we can always think of Jesus as the bridge to reality. He is the escape from the shadows and the, the copies of things to reality. Jesus is that. Tis the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The law is, the, is that medicine that reminds us. So the old covenant, the old religious uh, regulations and law, the law and the prophets was a reminder that we're sick. Every year, every year the priests would stand up and before they're gonna go into the holy of holies, they would also cast sacrifices for themselves and for the people as a reminder for us, not that they're dealing with sin, but that we are sinners and we're in need of the Lord. It was a reminder of that very thing. Let's keep reading. It says, verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's something we should remind ourselves of repeatedly. It's impossible for those sorts of outward sacrifices and offerings and religious ways to take care of the true needs of our spirit, the true needs of our soul. It is impossible. That word impossible is a word that we've seen already in the book of Hebrews. We'll see it again later. Hebrews 11, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Back in Hebrews chapter six, it says it's impossible for us to send Jesus again to the cross. If we blaspheme, if we completely rebel against the Lord, we can't send him to the cross again. It's a once and for all sacrifice. It's the life of Jesus. And so here it is again, that word coming up. It's impossible for those sacrifices to deal with the true need of our soul. That's something we should remind ourselves of repeatedly. There is no other way. There's no other way but by the blood of Jesus, the blood of goats and bulls. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There's no other way than the way of Jesus. Verse five, it says this, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. So here he's quoting the prophet David, Psalm chapter 40. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, verse six, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. All along, the Lord has been after obedience of our heart. And he, in his kindness, in his patience, in his heart to be a teacher and a father, he's taken a step by step. Paul, in the book of Galatians, calls the law, calls that, that season when he would give us the law, he calls it like a tutor, like a teacher, like a guardian. It was this season where the Lord was teaching us about our need for him continually. But all along, the Lord wasn't so much concerned about the exteriors of it. He wasn't so much concerned about the the legalistic superficialities of the exterior adherence to it. He was after our hearts. He was after obedience in our hearts. And so people oftentimes treat the Lord as though he like changed his mind on his, his way of salvation. There was no way of salvation before Jesus. You should settle that in your heart. As you, as you peer into the word of God and, and look at those first 39 books, it wasn't that there was another way. Jesus has always been God's plan. He said even before the creation of the earth, this was the Lord's plan. The Lord had predestined this way. He knew that in this creation of this universe of, of free will love, people would go against him. And so his plan was to send his son all along. The old covenant was a way of adherence to rule and commands, and the new way was this way of love relationship, but the old covenant was never a way to actually reconcile us with God. The Lord, step by step, was revealing to us that our hearts were in need of a perfect sacrifice, that we were in need of someone to come on our behalf because we could never please a holy God. And Jesus came to perfectly fulfill the obedience of the law. So Jesus didn't just fulfill outward demonstrations of the law. At the heart level, Jesus fulfilled the law. And so that's something that we should settle in our hearts because perfection can never be added upon, amen? Perfection, we can never improve on God's perfection. Either Jesus is the perfect sacrifice or he is not. Sometimes in our following of the Lord, we think we need to try to add upon Jesus' perfection. 
But no, our faith is in his perfection, not in our performance. Our faith is on his perfection. He perfectly obeyed every letter and every iota of the law. That's Jesus. That's our Savior. And so he fulfills this prophecy from Psalm 40, that the Lord was after that obedience, even the giving of his body. That's how the writer of Hebrews translates that. If you look back in Psalm 40, you'll see the wording being a little different. But the translation the writer of Hebrews is using is this reference to Jesus actually giving his own body in obedience. So it wasn't just lip service of obedience. It wasn't a show for Jesus. No, for him, it was the giving of his very body. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That was the perfect obedience of Jesus. So verse 10, and this is like the summary of the morning. We're gonna continue to read more, but like if there's one verse you can circle, it's verse 10. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all. No longer a repeating of sacrifices and offerings to remind us that we're sick, but now we're made holy because of the offering of Jesus' body in perfect obedience to the Father, in perfect uh, accordance to the will of the Father, the standards of the Father, the standards of heaven. Jesus fulfilled it once and for all. It's the summary of this entire message of good news. Jesus once and for all. In his ministry, Jesus was pointing us to that very thing, that he was supreme above all. He established that. Just think about his ministry. Think about the, the kind of different realms of his miracles and supernatural works. He demonstrated that he was supreme over nature. He said to the storms, wouldn't you love to be able to do that? Last night, just stop, snow, stop. <laughs> well, Jesus did that because he's supreme over nature. He could walk on water. He was supreme over the very natural laws of which he created. He established himself above religion by walking into the temple and turning the tables. Hey, this is my father's house. That's what he said. I'm above it all. He said that he fulfills the law. He fulfills the Sabbath. He established himself above social orders and governments when he looked at Pilate meekly, humbly in the eyes, and he said that his kingdom's not of this world. He said, if it was of this world, my friends, they'd take up swords and, and they, would, they would go after it. They'd go at it. But my kingdom is not of this world. He looked into the, the eyes of the authority of the Roman government. Not a, not a sliver, not an ounce of fear in his eyes. He established himself above it all. He established himself above sickness and the devil when he came and destroyed the works of the devil. He healed the sick. And vocally, even before he actually paid the price for it, he established himself as the, as the answer for our sins. When he looked at that man he was about to heal, who was paralytic, who was paralyzed, he said, your sins are forgiven. He, he was emphatic about his authority, the authority that he carried to actually forgive sins. So Jesus showed that he did not simply come 
to give us a, a medicine for our, the, sin of, of, the sickness of our sin, like blood pressure medicine. Jesus was clear that he, that's not what he was coming to do, just something to, to get us along, to inch us along towards the Father's plan for us. No, he was coming to cure us. He was the effective cure of our souls. Jesus made that clear. I want us to establish this in our hearts. I want the faith, our faith in the sufficiency and the effectiveness of Jesus to grow this morning. Can you truly call something effective if you have to repeat it over and over and over? No, if it's effective, it's once and for all. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, it says, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They can never take away sins. They can never deal with it. They're just putting off judgment, putting off the wrath of God. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. So here again, the writer of Hebrews is intermingling this picture of Jesus as our priest and our king. He's doing it again. Jesus comes to fulfill that role that the priest had to offer these sacrifices every day. So we've already established this, right? If you guys have been with us for the last number of, couple months now, we know the premier theme of this book is that Jesus is our great high priest. And so he's saying that again. These priests, they would do that. They'd remind us that we're sinners in need of the Lord. Well, Jesus came and he associated himself with our sin, but then he established himself as our king as well. And he sat down there at the throne of majesty. He's awaiting this day. Is that not just like a picture of Jesus, the patience of his waiting? He waited for 30 years, you know, in being an anonymous guy, just serving with his, his parents and living life, even though he's the creator of the universe. Now he's patiently waiting for all to come to repentance. So Peter tells us. He's that's just like a picture of, of Jesus. He's so patient. Now you can picture him seated at the, the throne of majesty, patiently waiting until this time comes. When the fulfillment of Genesis 3 will come, he'll crush the serpent's head. Footstool, the, his enemies will be his footstool. But he rightfully took that place, the throne of majesty, with that single offering of his life. That single offering of his body being laid down on behalf of love, for the sake of love. That single effective once and for all offering of his life. So again, you can think of the law as like a treadmill. Every, you know, every year the priests would come and they would, they'd have to do this. As soon as they did the offerings once, the clock was ticking, they, they would have to come and do it again. It's like a treadmill. You're not going anywhere, right? You're just kind of treading water. Well, Jesus came as the path. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, choose this narrow way. You know, broad is the path that leads to destruction. It's all these other treadmills, dead treadmills that, that go nowhere. He says, narrow is this way that leads to life, and few find it. That's because he's the only way. Amen. 
You're going to have all these other voices saying there's some other way. There's, oh, but choose me or go this way. Jesus is that narrow way. He is that single offering once and for all. The question is, will we choose it? The question is, will we truly place our faith in the foolishness of that? That singular answer as the answer for the ails, the sickness of our soul. Will we choose that? Verse 15, it says this, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put the law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and... Oh, sorry, and then he adds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's fully effective. It's the effectiveness of the work of Jesus. And he's gonna accomplish this work from the inside out. We talked about this in a prior week. He came to write the law in our hearts. Again, he doesn't come to abolish the law. He comes to fulfill it. And that's the work of the Lord in, that's the work of the Lord in your life now. It's to come and write the law and the fulfillment of the law on your hearts and on your minds that you'd be transformed to look like the Lord. So the law is a tutor, as Paul says in Galatians. It's a tutor. It's teaching us that we need the Lord. It's teaching us about the ways of God, the ways of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus comes, perfectly fulfills that. We place our faith in that, and what he does is this beautiful transaction of the Spirit of God coming to live inside of us, and the tutor begins to transform us from the inside out where we, where we do desire obedience. We actually desire to please the Lord, not to, not to earn his favor, but because we, we trust him, because we truly believe that his way is best for us. So I want us to just stop and pray right now before we, before we move on to verse 19, because there's a really clear response here in Hebrews that we're gonna give the rest of our time to. But before we do that, we have to resolve it in our hearts that Jesus truly is the once and for all way, the only effective answer, the only effective cure for our souls. So let's, let's pray right now before we move on. Lord, I invite you in this place. You've been glorified through worship. And I do sense a certain humility in this place a desire for truth. So, person of truth, would you come right now and establish your reality in this place as supreme? Would you cut into our hearts? Would you cut off all wavering in our hearts, all doubt or unbelief, that tries to convince us, tries to convince us that we should keep just trying to strive in our own flesh, that we should chase after the how-to's, how self-help ways of this world, that we should continue on just trying to eke out our existence on this planet. God, would you cut that off this morning by convincing us, Spirit of God, Convince us that you are the once and for all answer, the once and for all cure. I believe that you want to set us free. You want to set us free from the, the chains 
of dead religion. You want to set us free from the, the burdens of this world and unleash a simple joy, a simplicity, a childlike joy of salvation in this place, a freedom of truly following you no matter what comes our way, what, what flies at us in this, in this world, there would be this simple, content joy in you that rises up in our hearts because of the, the, the faith that we have in your effectiveness in our life. You're the only effective one. Can you just establish that in your heart before we move on? you, Lord. You are the focal point of our faith. Our faith is in a person. Faith is not a, a box of our life. Faith, our faith is in a person. And you alone came and fulfilled every obligation and then willingly gave your life on the cross on our behalf. And we just say thank you. Our faith is in you. Spirit of God, quicken us right now to respond in your mighty name, amen. Because that's where the writer of Hebrews then takes us as a response. What does this then mean for our life? So let's go there. Verse 19, it says, therefore, therefore, since Jesus is the priest, he's the bridge to reality, he is the king who sits in majesty awaiting that time when he's going to make his enemies his footstool. He says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So first is let us draw near. Let us come near to the Lord. Choose faith in that effective cure every time. Rather than pulling back, rather than veering off onto other paths, let us draw near with faith. Faith in the effectiveness of Christ. And he expounds on the effectiveness, effectiveness of Christ. We enter his holy place by his blood. He opened up the way, the new and living way through the curtain, through his flesh. He sprinkled our hearts clean so you can have a clean conscience. No matter what you did, no matter what you've done, you can have a clean conscience before the Lord. Why? Because you do these kind of mind games where you, like, um, you talk to yourself a lot and convince yourself. No, because your faith is fixed on a person. Take your eyes off yourself and look at Jesus. Look at him. 
<laughs> look at him and allow your faith to increase because you're looking at him, not your, because you're looking at yourself and trying to convince yourself and justify yourself because you're looking at him. He says our bodies are washed with pure water, most likely referring to actual water baptism because he says our bodies are washed with the water. There is something sacred that happens when we're immersed into the waters of baptism, especially in the context of community. We're publicly confessing what the Lord has done in us inwardly. But there's a lot that goes into the language that the writer of Hebrews uh, is using there to talk about the, the, water, the washing of, of our bodies in the water. Let us draw near with faith. Our faith is in his sacrifice, his living way. You know, if Jesus was just a teacher, just a sage, just a prophet, he'd be like a tour guide. A tour, if, you're, if we take a trip to the, uh, to the capital, the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., a tour guide can take you to the White House. A tour guide could potentially even show you around the White House. But a tour guide can't, in their own accord, just take you into the Oval Office, right? No, it's only, only the president by his authority that ushers you into the Oval Office. Jesus isn't just a tour guide. He's not just showing you about the ways of this heaven, this, this kingdom. He came to show you the way and to usher you, to lead you, to lead you into the way the way of, of, of the presence of God. And that's, that's the answer every time. You look at him. He is the way. He has the authority to usher you past the curtain into the Holy of Holies every time. This upcoming week, I'm going to be taking a, a trip into the uh, Grand Canyon with my son, who's turning 13 here this spring. So I'm going to make a man out of him. He'll come out with a hairy chest and a beard, and it's going to be awesome. We're going into the Grand Canyon to the belly of the beast this week, and so my mind has been in that mode of preparing for this epic, epic adventure, epic journey. Uh, and that's been the heart of it. And so my mind went to this, this Christian classic, the late 1600s. Um, a Christian classic was written uh, by the name of Pilgrim's Progress. And so many rich pictures of our life following the Lord. But the simplicity of our faith and the sufficiency of Jesus is a constant theme throughout that book. So in that book, he writes, it is my duty, this is Christian speaking. Christian is the main character in that book. You follow Christian as he, as he interacts with different people and overcomes different, different obstacles to finally get to the celestial city, to heaven. He says, it is my duty to distrust my own ability that I may have reliance on him that is stronger than all. He later says, there is in Jesus Christ more merit and righteousness than the whole world has need of. So the theme continually throughout that book in this journey, this epic of, of following the Lord is the sufficiency of Jesus. And there's gonna be all these other temptations that come our way that try to distract us, that try to maybe complicate things try to convince us that maybe it's more complex than that, but really it's the simplicity of the effectiveness of Jesus that wins the day for Christian in that book. So our life following Jesus. We can, we can traverse a lot. We can conquer a lot. We can overcome a lot when we keep this childlike simplicity of drawing near in faith with, towards the Lord. We're drawing near to him. We have that one choice in life 
Are we going to place our faith in Jesus or are we not? Are we gonna trust our own devices? Are we gonna trust our, our own ways? Will we be drawn to other things or will we draw near in faith to the Lord? So that's first, it's draw near with faith. Let's read what he says next. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward to the keys. Second is hold fast our confession. Or it could very easily be translated, hold fast our creed. Hold fast to what we truly believe. Cling to it. And what is the substance of that creed or that confession? Well, it's, he says it right there, it's, it's him. He says he is faithful. So our, again, we're not, it's not self-talk. It's not just convincing ourselves, working ourselves into a frenzy of belief. It's fixing the attention of our heart on the substance of our creed or our confession, which is the faithfulness of Jesus. Let us hold fast without wavering. So you know the Lord's will for your life is for you to not waver. Anybody in this place that's, con that's believed the lie that your lot in life for the rest of your life with the Lord is to continue to wait, waver back and forth. Be on this roller coaster. Some days you feel like you're flying high with faith and other, day, other days it just feels like a complete drag. It feels like so difficult to take the Lord at his word. That is not his will for your life. His will for your life is for you to be unwavering. That's what maturity is. I, I say that with grace. If that's where you're at right now, you're, wa you're still wavering and waffling, I'm saying there's grace. Come to the Lord, draw near to the Lord. But his will for you, 10, 20, 30 years from now, is for you to be unwavering. For you to be able to endure all sorts of crazy stuff that comes your way, but for you to be unwavering in your heart. You have hope without wavering. So that word of, of holding fast, it, it refers to like clinging to. We cling to truly what we believe. What's the substance of what we believe? It's a person who's faithful. So there will be temptations to, to cling to other things, but we, again, we cling to the Lord. We draw near and we cling to him because he's faithful. What does he say last? And he says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So he says, thirdly, stir up one another. I love the way the, the message translations translates this passage. He says, be creative in stirring up one another. In fellowship with one another, point each other towards the sufficiency, the effectiveness of Jesus. You don't have to preach at everybody all the time, but as people bear their soul to you, as they open up their hearts and their lives to you, gently, as a friend does, remind them of the once and for all cure that is Jesus. The Lord has made us to live in community with other people. The Lord has not destined us to live this life as solo Christians. And the writer of Hebrews is a little concerned here that some have began to forsake the meeting together. 
the gathering together. Could be a variety of reasons, and honestly, those voices still exist today. There are people that say, you can, you can be spiritual, you can, you can even be a Christian without actually gathering with people. It's not that you can't, but it's very difficult, and the Lord hasn't created us that way, to thrive in that way. Obviously, your faith is your own, and only you can place your faith in the, in the Lord's sufficiency in your life. No one can do that for you. No one can save you. No one's a mediator between you and God. That's not what he's saying. But there is this sense of thriving. There is this sense of the way we're meant to grow is in community with other people encouraging us, reminding us of truth, stirring up the faith in the Lord. So he says we gather together. I feel like over the last number of years I've been on this mission to see the church restored to her place in the life of the believer. Church is not a venue you attend. Church is the people that we gather to adore, the, the people that we gather together with to adore the Lord, to know God. A couple of years ago when we moved from two service to one service, at the heart of that really was because we wanted to make the main thing, not about how big we grew or how many people we attracted, but this choice of the gathering being the gathering, being something sacred. The gathering being about gathering around the Lord not trying to get people in and out as quickly as we can, but gathering around the Lord. Part of the Lord's plan on the earth is to reveal himself to us through people. He describes us as his body, and what a sacred calling that is. For us to be the body, that means in relationship with the people that you're sitting next to this morning, or people that are knit together with you in your life group, or the people that God has brought into your life to do community with, the Lord wants to demonstrate himself, embody, he wants you to embody himself to these people. That when people are around you, they know they're with Jesus. That there are aspects of Jesus that people get a glimpse of in you. What a beautiful picture. So we stir up one another in the faith. We draw near, we hold fast to our confession, and we stir one another up. We stir one another up with that call that Jesus is the effective cure. If we could all stand in this place. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.